application. So I can show you the very first prototype. Um, we actually launched this company with about $5,000. Um, you can see uh, here the four thrusters and people can think of the first iteration of Pillbot as a quadcopter swimming drone. And then we went a little bit smaller, raised a little bit of money. You know, eventually we get to the size that we've, that we've shown you here. Welcome to this episode of the MedTech 101 podcast. And in today's episode, I have two guests here who have been working on an exciting device, which I've been waiting to talk about for a very long time uh, since we, we, we spoke for the first time. And here with me, I have the CEO of, uh, of Indiatex and the Chief Business Officer of Indiatex and the CEO being Tori and the CBO being Chris. and. Uh, Basically, what they have, uh, when I was trying to describe it to my friend, was it's like an electric pill that you swallow that functions as a submarine in your tummy to help you, you know, fix whatever operation you, you need to do internally. And they can also look inside the body so doctors can get a better you know, visual inside. And this is something that's new. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. So without delaying too much, uh, welcome to the podcast, Tori and Chris. Oh, thank, thank you, you so very much. much Real honor to yeah. be here. Thank you. So yeah, just, just to start off then, I'll start off with uh, uh, Tori. Uh, and uh, like Tori, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff leading up to this, like in the background. I know you you worked as an R and D engineer for a very long time. You know, you you started uh, aerospace engineering. Other people call it rocket science. Uh, you know, and you were you were like leading um, the Saxton team at Burning Man. And for those people outside of the US, uh, in Europe, who don't know what Burning Man is, is basically like. Um, um, like a festival that people do in the desert somewhere uh, from California where people just go and it's like futuristic. People have all kinds of stuff happening there. Uh, and this, there's actually quite an interesting, there's some interesting videos which I'll add to the link as well about Burning Man. And uh, most people might have found out about, about it this year because a lot of people were stuck in the mud out there. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, Tori wasn't there. Tori has been working uh, uh like on the on, on the device we'll be talking about today. So yeah, uh, well, welcome, Terry. And uh, it's, it's an interesting background uh, you have. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Burning Man's an important part of the Silicon Valley tech culture. Uh, it's very much, it has roots in the art community, but art and technology are all connected through, you know, inspiration. And, you know, on a good day, the Burning Man community is a place where people can try crazy ideas and get support for that. Uh, we were very honored to just be featured for the second time on the Burner podcast. And the first time it was kind of speaking from the perspective of Sextant building giant art in the desert and giant Tesla coils shooting lightning bolts. But now we're trying to sort of shoot a different kind of a lightning bolt, which is just the question of, you know, what can we do back in Silicon Valley with the inspiration that we felt, you know, out at Burning Man and in places like that? And so what we're doing now is basically saying, hey, we've seen tiny robot pills uh, in science fiction. We've seen nano robots in the books we read, right? How do we take a little bit of that and make it real? And with Endiotics and with PillBot, that's really the, the call to action now is basically saying, holy cow, if we can make a 
tiny little robot pills swim around in the human stomach. This could be really good for patients around the world, but I think, you know, it's really the beginning of an adventure. Well, and uh, that's that's really interesting and uh, I, and also just for people's perspective, um the pill which you're holding the pill bot. Um uh, I know we're going to talk about the features in detail later, but it's is it uh, like how long is that? Was the the last article I read online said it's about 28 millimeters? Yeah, so uh, I uh, I love this little advanced prototype because on the team we're constantly juggling different configurations, right? Like we could do a quadcopter like I'm holding in my hand here, or you could drop a motor and go to three motor configuration, maybe get one motor in the vertical axis, and then you do more like Cartesian oriented 3D flight. Um, and the fun thing about Endiotics, as you can see behind me, is it's just a thriving hub of innovation right in Silicon Valley. And so we have weekly competitions where we throw the robots in the fish tank and we see what's performing the best, who can build the smallest robot, um, you know, which robot is more reliable, has a better video link. All of those variables constantly have to be balanced against each other. And that's why we sort of welcome um, anyone's crazy new idea. Well, nice. That's that's interesting. And uh, then uh, passing over the the microphone to you, Chris. Uh, I know the, when we spoke um, a few weeks ago, you said uh, there's this um, crazy balance between you and Tori because Tori is like uh, sort of like has got this traditional hardcore education from um, Silicon Valley, but Chris is more from like you know like an Ivy League. Chris went to Harvard University, studied linguistics there. Uh, and then after that, like, uh, it was quite interesting doing my background research in you, Chris, because not only did you do that, but you you were a tutor for some time. And then you went to Mount Kilimanjaro, like on your on your gap year. I, I did the same thing as well, uh, <laughs> but I, I never got to summit it, unfortunately. And I know you did the Iron Man, and uh, you've been an investor and you've moved sort of like from, you know, um, like being an investor to being like more hardcore involved with the, with the business as a business um, officer now, the chief business officer of Indiatics. Um, yeah, so welcome, Chris. I mean, like, uh, it's, 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 I'm honored to, to, to also have you here today. Hey, thank you very much. <clears throat> um, I would say my life has been an adventure that I'm very proud of where I've achieved things in many fronts. I have explored the world. I've certainly gotten to do athletics. I've done music. I've done travel. I've done learning of all kinds. I've done entrepreneurship with my own education company, which I actually still do part-time and I'm very proud of. And there comes a moment where you've succeeded enough that you could sort of fade into a quiet lifestyle where you would be okay, right? I could work three days a week and play tennis two days a week until I'm 128 years old. That's not quite enough for me. So having invested in Endiotics and having known Tori with some fortuitous timing, I felt a calling to this because I've lost relatives to cancer. I've watched people die who should not have died younger than they should have. For example, both of my grandfathers, both of them died before I was born from colon cancer, both of them right? They died in their 50s, right? So now I feel a, a calling to this and a, a pride to be involved. Will it accelerate us to the next echelon of wealth? Hopefully, probably, but more importantly, to the next echelon of achievement where you feel like you're building a real legacy and in the middle of your life, if I'm lucky enough to live to be 80, right? In the middle of it, now that I'm 40, I can do something that I can really lean into and care about.
Well, no, that's that's really um like deep, and uh, I, I see like for you, it's more of even a deeper motivation, um because obviously it's it's always sad that you know when we lose people we love, but uh, it's always it's always nice when you get the same motivation to try and and sort of like improve, do something about that, and it's part of and it's also part of the reasons why I also ended up studying biomedical engineering because I just grew up in, in a country um uh, where people didn't really have some basic devices with them, and I thought okay, what can I also do? And I, you know, throw jump on, try to study the degree. And, uh, and I'm not at a point where I've started my own company. So I, that's really admirable, but eventually I would like to, to work towards that. And, uh, and yeah, and just, and just to also just briefly touch on it. Um, how did you balance the coding as well? Because I know you also took part in some coding. Oh. Like how, was, was it easy for you coming I've from a linguistic background? Well, I would say I've been at the risk of sounding arrogant. I've been good at the languages and the mathematics for a long time, which is why I've been a very successful private tutor. And I have decent patience interacting with people one-on-one -on -one, and I enjoy explaining things. I had dabbled in coding, but not until my late twenties. And I went to coding school in Silicon Valley when I was 34. I was the oldest person in the cohort right? I was the dinosaur in my mid thirties learning to code. And now I enjoy coding in Python, especially for mathematics. I would hesitate to say I'm really a software engineer, but I understand it well enough that I see the broad developments and I'm just, again, happy to be involved in something that I feel edifies me on the, several fronts. The crazy thing that Chris has been able to do that really blew me away, I think it must have to do with the linguistics Linguist, linguistics background um, is, is his work on the IP front because uh, very quickly we found Chris right at the center of the conversations we were having with our amazing IP attorneys over at Perkins Coie, figuring out how do you patent robot pills when you know the concept of little robots moving around in the human body is as old as technology, right? It's as old as science fiction. And so when you look at what's out there in the IP landscape, you'll see dozens of amazing, awesome ideas going way back. The difference here is that we're actually building them. We're actually swallowing them almost every day, right? And in order to get IP in a very busy space, it takes an incredible mind that's able to sift through the various parts of a design and figure out how are we actually differentiated. And Chris has actually been amazing there as well. Well. Well, and that's and I'm, I'm I'm happy to hear that, Chris. Just to add on to that, because um, I was quite I was quite fortunate myself to have worked on a, on an internship where they were building a new device. So I ended up not doing any intern work, to be honest. And because of that, uh, when they filed for the patent, they put my name there on on that patent for um, this medical device uh, for that's um, awesome. chemo, for chemo patients, basically to prevent nerve cell damage. And uh, so, but I, I built the operating system for for that, and you know, I I. We sort of bought the hardware components when we're doing the the prototype and we're testing you know the software with the components uh but because most of the other guys are just scientists but i'm i'm really impressed by the fact that you've been able to grasp the stuff so quickly uh chris and i i also have to say it here uh in front of you in front of everyone to hear uh in my audience is that usually when i set when i set up a meeting in the process of me setting up a meeting usually i I'm the one who sets up the calendar meeting. I'm the one who does all these things. But like, and out of all the guests I've had, 
you're the only one who has beaten me to getting a, cal- a, a <laughs> meeting in the calendar. So I'm, I was like, you're proactive. And uh, that really impressed me as well. So, so yeah, I'm, that's, that's some really good things that you, you're capable of. <laughs> that's very sweet of you to say, man. I would say organization and clarity. I'm, I'm trying to help the company move in that direction. Also, to your point about the interns, as Tori will explain, our interns happen to, they've been on earth for half as much time as we have, but they're by no means inferior. They participate, they have equity in the company, and if they stand and deliver, we say, yes, thank you for thank you for helping with this, right? Yeah, we're actually seeing a bit of a fairy tale unfold where, uh, you know, to name one particular intern, uh, Evan Yip, Evan came in as a summer intern and very quickly began to sort of eclipse many of us. And we started to realize like, holy cow, we're super lucky to have this guy involved. Uh, but the cool thing is he graduates high school, starts going to a local college, taking classes, and he's still with us. And now we're starting to think like, holy cow, you know, this might be a relationship that begins, you know, even before you turn 18, who knows what it turns into? Because I think Evan is in a position to help us take Pillbot all the way to the world. And so this is someone who might be in their very early 20s when this company might potentially exit. And you're thinking like, wow, like what what is this person's life going to look like in a post-endiotics world? It's pretty exciting. You know, that's really good. And sometimes um, it's quite nice when, when a company does give you no know, interns that much responsibility because even when I had that responsibility going from uni, I, would think I was what, 20 at the time, uh, working on this important uh, device uh, with some scientists who knew the theory but needed someone to make it into something practical. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and it also shows, like, uh, a lot of the investment that you're doing into the local talent as well because, essentially, that's how you nature some of the skills. And um, I've had other jobs after that that I, that I had that were in much bigger companies, but I, I would have to say that, that job that I did as an intern in terms of the weight and the importance of work I was doing, uh, the impacts of or, or the excitement of a novel, you know, development um, will go probably as one of the best jobs I had, even though I was just on minimum wage. But thinking about it, those are some of my best days. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then sort of like leading up to then, you know, in the attics, because I think everyone is just dying to hear more about it. It's like, like how long have you guys been running? Because I knew, I, like, from what it's, it's, it seems like it's been running for quite some time. I couldn't actually get the actual dates uh, as to sure. how long you've been working. So we incorporated on March eighth of twenty nineteen, and uh, we were we were full into launching the company uh, just before that. And so Endiotics is definitely spiritually turning five years old, uh, and and excited to officially turn five years old in March. And uh, I think we're going to have to make ourselves funny lounge jackets to sort of go with the uh, funny theme from Saturday Night Live. When you've hosted five times, uh, you get into this special club. And so it's been a it's been a little bit of an adventure here at the five year mark because we think we've fully de-risked the the mechanical side, and we still are working on various little issues here and there. But you know, by and large, we can swallow a robot. We can drive it around in three dimensions, no problem. The real challenge now shifts to getting ultra high quality video off of that robot. And the work that we're doing on the radio frequency front, um, you know, RF, you know, basically tuning and balancing antennas, we're starting to get into the concept of auto tune just because depending on 
which human you throw a robot into, they are going to actually have a tremendous impact on the, the RF performance. And instead of being hindered by that, we're starting to realize, actually, PillBot can just measure the environment around, make some adjustments in real time, and probably deliver world-class video through through just about anyone. So that's just one example of, of a really exciting tech stack that's beginning to unfold. And I think in the next few months, we're actually going to see the PillBot of our dreams finally hit the world stage. I just can't wait till I can swallow one of these things, put the live video up and have the audience without any qualifications go like, wow, that's cool. Instead of this is cool in principle, but call me in six months once you actually get solid video. <laughs> I, I think we're actually crossing through that threshold in the in Q1, Q2. So super excited for that. Well, and uh, talking about swallowing this pill, I I know you already swallowed it countless times, uh, Tori. I, I I watched the video uh, uh, when I was, as I said, when I was uh, doing my 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 background reading on you guys, and I was quite impressed because there's nothing more convincing than the CEO taking his own product. You know, it's like okay, fine. And that was the early prototype you did, and uh, I watched all the whole video. It was 20 minutes. Uh, some people, some people might watch for a bit, but I'll also be putting that video on, on top of this video so people can see a bit. And uh, the thing that made me laugh though was I think uh, when you thought it was a tap worm that you saw oh, like, in your gut, and that was this was like a poorly was... pixelated picture, so it could not. It could have been something else, not even. <laughs> That was such an amazing moment. Like, I yes. think I think it was June 17th, 2020. That made our company just about 18 months old, technically. If you just sort of count from when we launched at yes. Founder Institute uh, in January of 20, 2019. So we're at the 18 month mark, we're on my couch. We still have that red couch in our office and it's finally time to swallow a pillbot. And like, if, if people look at our modern video and have a, have an issue with it, I direct you to, you know, the video you're talking about because right now we're doing 480 by 480 pixels. We're throwing, throwing seven frames per second. That's about 1.7 megapixels per second color. We're doing some optical improvements because we need more field of view. We're, it's like looking through a grainy telescope right now. Super frustrating. But if you go back to June 17th, 2020, like you said, we're talking 48 pixels square, grayscale, no color, five frames per second on a good day. Pretty bad video, right? But we swallow PillBot and we start to see this imagery that looks almost like the surface of the moon, right? Because it's in grayscale and you see these waves, these craters, like subtle folds in the stomach lining. Not all that interesting, you know, nothing super detailed, but promising, right? And then all of a sudden we have this like wow moment where like you said, we see this string of tissue sloughing off of my stomach. And I, and I go like, holy cow, what is that? Is that a tapeworm? Because what we, what we were seeing was something of interest that PillBot was showing us in real time that we didn't know existed, that we weren't looking for in particular. And it was like, holy cow, like if we can do this in a living room in Silicon Valley, what could we do if we were properly funded? What what could we do if we could actually build this team out so there weren't gaping holes in our tech stack? So fast forward a few years to where we are right now. Well, you know, we well, have this, we, we have all the support you could imagine. And it's just an amazing time. We're incredibly honored to be finally making it real.
Yes, and that's really good. And uh, from what I'm gathering here, like your partnership with Chris, it's like I it feel it's like the you know the Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak kind of partnership, where like uh, Tori, you stuck in the lab or in the office, or, in, or it looks like a, a engineering lab behind you, and uh, Chris is is out, you know, spreading the word, selling the the the, the, the device. And Chris, I know recently, a couple of weeks ago, or yeah, in November last month, you were in Malta at the Tech, um summit or MedTech World Summit. Uh, so, actually, so, well, most of the team was at MedTech Malta a couple months ago in the Mediterranean. And then just by coincidence, just last week, I was in Monaco in the French Riviera doing a live pitch to some wealthy investors. And we had a moment of heroic success where we managed to connect via the web with not only Tori, but Dr. Kambari in Florida for it was evening time in Europe, of course, and middle of the day in America. And it went amazingly well. Nice. It was really and, cool, right? Like the whole idea here is telemedicine. So yes. it's nice to be able to say like, okay, here's the fish tank, throw a bot in, who's gonna control it? We could control locally or over the internet, right? Uh, but True. please, Robbie, sorry, I cut in there. No, no, definitely. No, it's okay. And I'm, I'm really excited. So sometimes I just have to control myself and, uh, you know, hold myself back a little bit. But, uh, uh, I'm just quite interested to hear also, like, you know, um, um, Chris, uh, your perspective. I mean, coming into this, trying to, you know, basically raise funds, uh, traveling around, selling a medical device. I mean, for you, like that journey over the last couple of years, how has it been? How has it evolved for you? It was the same way I know for Tori. It is you've gone in, you've gone better in terms of quality of the pictures or the resolution you, you you're starting to project. But from a business point of view, I'm sure it's a little bit more than just you know. Of course, the better the product, the easier it is for you. But I'm sure there's something else that's hidden. In there. All I can say on the tech side is that initially it was, can we produce good enough video that a doctor would reach for this instead of an endoscope? But the conversation in the last few weeks has been like, holy cow, I think we're going to be competing with the world's best endoscope soon. And what does that mean, Chris? Well, of course, right. So when you're trying to propose any business and draw in investment money, there is sort of a cat and mouse game. There's a give and take in the flow of capitalism where people expect a superior product and don't want to invest until you can deliver it. But of course, you need the funding in order to engineer and produce that product, right? So I guess for me, having not really pressed hard to raise funds at any previous time in my life, there was some sort of banging your head against the wall where you have to get used to people turning you down the majority of the time without feeling insulted, right? I'm now completely used to that. So I just assume if I do a cold outreach or even a warm outreach, nine out of 10 times, the answer is no. And I've, I've inured myself to that and we have succeeded despite that. We've I should show you guys the reason for the loud noises in case you're wondering. Basically, we just got a uh, Arberg injection molding machine same type of machine that Lego went to mass production on back in the day. And uh, we're wiring that thing up. I'm gonna head back into the office soon, but it's basically just a hotbed of the latest 3D printers, crazy precision electronics. It's just amazing to think that you can design all this stuff under one roof, build it, program it, code it, swallow it, test it. Like, honestly, I feel like this is, this is what Silicon Valley really is, right? Chris and I really feel like we're 
we are as a team starting to make a contribution to this beautiful valley where we're where we get to live. We're vertical. Uh, just, just sorry, Chrissy. I continue. I was gonna. I was actually gonna add on more information that the funding you're doing is it also part of the funding that's funding those new uh, equipment? Uh, uh, Tori has just shown us. Yes. Yes. Also, so we have um, basically a couple of lead VC investors and one or two very large angels and a whole list of medium or smaller angels over the past five years. The company's raised over $6 million in aggregate now. But of course, we need to raise significantly more, and we probably will on a Series A in the middle of 2024. And one amazing piece of breaking news is like our biggest VC check to date is from the Verge Health Tech Fund out of Singapore. Uh, that fund uh, managed by Joseph Makanu, uh, an amazing, amazing PhD, uh, and then Scarlett Chen living in Kowloon. Um, the Verge Health Tech Fund really put us on the map with regards to MedTech VC. But uh, just last night, I learned that Johnson & Johnson uh, Impact Ventures has actually put into Verge. And so as a portfolio company of Verge, it's, it's amazing to be connected back to Johnson & Johnson. Uh, because as an intern, I, I was at a, an 11-person company that sold to Cordis Johnson & Johnson. Uh, in those times. So it's it's like this amazing full circle experience. And to think that we get an opportunity to contribute to this community and actually build this crazy tech to, to help people, it's, it's just an amazing time right now. It really feels like a fairy tale. Nice. And uh, and just a quick question then, um, because I've also, I've also seen that it's not just, you know, J&J uh, jumping on, on, on board with this. Uh, and, and I worked at J&J uh, before before I, I, I moved uh, for about a year and a half. But I, know, I also know that Medtronic also has an interest in uh, in the similar kind of technology. Med so for Medtronic. you guys going against... Yes. So Sorry Medtronic leads the world when it comes to putting electronic capsules in the human body. Um, they are the owners of the PillCam product line that uh, back in 1997 proved that you could swallow a camera. And since then, Medtronic has been doing amazing work even beyond the GI tract with tiny capsule robotics. For example, Medtronic makes a pacemaker that looks like a tiny pill, smaller than a pill cam, that, that can actually park in the human heart and act as a, as a pacemaker. And so we see Medtronic as leaders in the, the world of microelectronic medical devices that go inside the human body. And we're very honored to you know, have some friends there as well as other large OEMs. I think all we are hoping for here at Endiotics is that we can make a little contribution to the space and then maybe in time partner with people who can help us take it to the rest of the world. Wow. Wow. That's, and that's good. And that's good. And, uh, and that, that sort of like brings me to the question then uh, to say that, uh, uh, and also maybe from a um, paperwork point of view for you, Chris, have you found it, I think it's good if there's really like sort of like an existing um, device in the market in terms of when it comes to paperwork, because uh, in the U in the US, in the US, you can do then a 510K uh, sort of like um, approval method because you already got some existing technology that's already using a similar kind of um, um, sort of like motion. But uh, I don't know how have you found that sort of like paperwork, uh, Chris, uh, going through all this and 
Yeah. It, it is helpful that there exists some predicate of devices, although I do want to distinguish ourselves. When people say pill cameras, such as the Medtronic pill cam, they're talking about passive pill cameras that are not motorized and are not maneuverable, right? And those, there are dozens of them, Medtronic pill cam being the most famous, but they have never been widely used. So PillBot actually, with its motorization, its closest predicate in the minds of people who don't know about it is the pill cam. But for practical purposes, the closest predicate is actually NaviCam, which is a magnetically actuated machine that requires capital equipment. So for the purposes of FDA submission, right? Like it, it's, it's just an amazing time to be developing med tech because, you know, Chris starts this conversation, which is, you know, pill cameras go back to the 90s, but now people are using magnetic fields uh, to induce motion in devices throughout the human body, right? You have NaviCam, uh, patients love it, right? You swallow a pill in a hospital and they roll this machine over. It's a pretty small machine. And with magnetic fields, they're able to create three-dimensional motion inside inside the body. I mean, it's amazing. Bionaut Labs, funded by Peter Diamandis and Bold Capital Partners, they're swimming tiny corkscrew devices up the spine into the brain. Robote is doing brain surgery work with rice grain sized little bots. Um, but like Chris says, you know, those particular tech stacks do actually require equipment and a hospital visit. We are just asking this question, what if we can induce motion based on our own onboard power plant? Um, how cool is that? And what it opens up is telemedicine. Right. And so I think Chris and I have a desire to take the micro robotic telemedicine angle to the world. Right. Let's let's let a wave of digital health sort of wash out into the global community. And basically anywhere with an Internet connection would be a great way to do telemedicine. But then local control would work fine, too. So you could be a technician. You could have an iPhone. You could have a pillbot, and you could actually do an upper endoscopy on someone. You could be in the, the middle of Antarctica and, and that could be a possibility. So we just, I, I, I would say we're lucky to be here and uh, excited to make a contribution. Well, and that's, that's impressive, right? But uh, for people out there as well, you know, thinking about this pure bot, uh, I know I'm gonna put some pictures, uh, but it's not only maneuver, maneuvered by the external mag magnetic force you mentioned, but it also has, is it four? Sort of like turbo, uh, like. Uh, so it uh, it depends on which generation. So I can show you the very first prototype. Um, well, we actually launched this company with about five thousand um, dollars. You can see uh, here are the four thrusters, and people can think of the first iteration of Pillbot as a quadcopter swimming drone. <laughs> and then we went a little bit smaller, raised a little bit of money. You know, eventually we get to the size that we've that we've shown you here. What I can tell you about the latest clinical iteration is that we're actually using only three motors. We found out that we could make a little bit of a compromise, drop one motor out of the four, take one of the motors, flip it vertical so that we always have control against gravity, use the other two motors to translate forward and backward, but also to steer. And we still get three-dimensional motion with three motors. And so it's, it's been fun just realizing that there are several ways that you can build a robot pill. Um, we have to balance the, the thickness of our shell, the physical size of the robot, the weight of it, 
how much battery power we want to put inside the human body because a little bit of punch is good to move, but you don't want to bring so much energy that uh, your thermal runaway might look, you know, kind of scary, right? So we balance all these variables out. Right now, the trimotor is looking really good. We're super excited to have our most recent patent publication um, published by FDA, uh, sorry, by the USPTO. Uh, my bad there. Um, so just excited to be moving forward on that front. And the question is, you know, what is the definitive pillbot? I would simply say the definitive pillbot is any version of this that a gastroenterologist can reach for in their daily practice that can drastically lower a patient's costs and drastically lower the, the, the hurdles to entry, right? We want to make it 10 times cheaper, easier, and more accessible with this kind of tech. Nice. Uh, and and just a quick question for you, Chris. Uh, you know, I mean, since uh, you know, you're handling most of the business side of it, um, I know right now, since most of it is still in pipeline, it might be hard for you to forecast the potential cost it, it, it will be when it gets to the market. But do you have an idea for people listening right now to think how much yeah. would, you know, one pill cost when you when you guys let when you guys get to the point when you release it onto the market? We have an approximation of what it's likely to be reimbursed for in the United States based on available precedent, which is probably between $500 and $800 in the United States. That's based on the existing codes for a passive pill camera or for the Navicam magnetically actuated device. Now, that is, that is basically your best inference, and we'll be making strides with business consultants in the next couple of weeks actually to have a clearer picture of that. So if you approximate $500 in the US and maybe half of that everywhere else in the world, you still have an enormous profit margin because we're vertically integrated and produce everything for less than $50 in California. One thing I'd like to throw in here is like, let's just for a second, imagine we're not a patient, we're not a doctor, we're not a hospital. Let's say we're all insurance companies. Let's say we're, we're medical insurance companies and our role is to pay the costs of healthcare for people insured in our networks. Okay, so that's an interesting perspective. So let's say one of our patients, uh, Chris, Chris will be our patient. Chris is gonna have gastritis, inflammation in his stomach and he's gonna feel stomach pain, right? He's gonna start to feel unwell. He's gonna get acute pain and persistent pain. And eventually Chris is gonna to go to the emergency room because uh, he doesn't know what's going on, right? And this is gonna start an, an odyssey that we, the insurance payer, have to pay for. We're gonna pay for Chris's emergency room visit. And he's gonna come home from the emergency room once we realize he doesn't have acute, you know, acute symptoms that are gonna kill him. Then he's gonna to go to his primary care physician. We're gonna pay for that visit too. Primary care is going to identify that Chris needs to go to a, um, a gastroenterologist. So we're finally going to get Chris to a gastroenterologist and he's going to have an initial consultation. And the gastro is possibly going to suspect gastritis. Um, but in order to do an upper endoscopy on Chris, we need to rule some stuff out. So we're going to try him on some anti-acid drugs for a few weeks, maybe a few months. We're going to try him on some dietary changes. So far, I'm the insurance company. I'm paying for all of this. I pay for every single one of those visits. I pay for all of the prescriptions. Chris is doing the co-pays, but here's the problem. I mean, that's a lot of money to pay out so far. 
And Chris has been feeling terrible this whole time. So finally, I don't know, what is it, the fourth visit, the fifth visit? Who can count at this point? Chris finally gets an upper endoscopy. And for Chris, his gastroenterologist is gonna see some inflammation in the stomach in the first five minutes of his EGD. In five minutes, we're gonna know it's gastritis. We're gonna know the exact medication that's gonna solve that problem. And then we're gonna ask ourselves some hard questions because we just paid tens of thousands of dollars to get five minutes to look around in Chris's stomach. And we're gonna to start to ask ourselves the question, if a $500 robot pill could turn all those hospital visits into one telemedicine call, like this call we're on right now, if, if Chris could have had symptoms and had his healthcare app qualify him for PillBot, PillBot could show up on his door or he could pick it up at the pharmacy and then drink some water and get on a video call and five minutes later get that diagnosis. I, the insurance company, would have saved tens of thousands of dollars. Chris would have saved months out of his life. And that actual upper endoscopy, that could go to someone with a serious problem where we actually need all the functionality that an endoscope can actually deliver because they really are the gold standard. And, and so, in the same breath, you overcome any possible institutional inertia because a common pushback question we get is, won't doctors want to keep doing things the same way? But when articulated as Tori just did, the answer is no, because they sense that this is a whole new paradigm that's a categorical improvement in their work. Yeah, oh, my, oh, my goodness. I mean, if you're a GI, you have to go through all this rigmarole. Like if I was going to become a gastroenterologist, it wouldn't be so that I could prescribe antacids. It wouldn't be so that I could consult people on their dietary choices. It wouldn't be that I could have 90% of my hours associated with not being a gastroenterologist. Gastros are among the, the craziest, most highly trained doctors in the world. We want to give them tools that, that allow doctors to be doctors, right? So in this case, instead of an endoscope in a hospital setting with a sedated patient, right? Pull out your iPhone because the gastroenterologist can be at home. The patient can be at their home. The hospital is in the cloud and PillBot is this cheap single-use disposable robot. Right. The, the whole idea here is to dematerialize an incredibly overbearing status quo. And the thing is, there's no boogeyman here. Right. There's, there's no one who set out to make healthcare difficult or inaccessible. It's just if we need to have a look around inside your body and we have to jam a tube into it uh, sedated in a hospital, that's going to be expensive and you're going to feel a lot of gatekeeping. But if we can make technology like PillBot, it's going to change everything. Let's point out a relatively uh, germane fact for you in particular, Rodney, which is that in the UK, there's a backlog of over 400,000 400, people just, just in the UK waiting for an EGD, right? Which is just a gastroscopy, yes. right? Just, just gastroscopy exceeds 400,000. That's not even looking at the esophagus or the duodenum, right? That's just literally looking around in the stomach, which is exactly what PillBot would be doing. Exactly. And that's that's amazing, really. And just to add on to that, because how it how it also works here in the UK nowadays, uh, looking at how things are becoming to, is moving towards the path of telemedicine is that if when you seek, right, you, you, you make a call to the NHS, you know, the National Health Service here, uh, and then you 
you speak to a doctor in a ward somewhere. So there's there's basically now a ward of doctors online, right? So and then they they try to do this checklist with you. It's like a survey, right? Which they ask you questions, yes or no, or to get your um, some sort of like de a design or to get a, an idea of of what exactly diagnostic you to you have to see if it's serious enough for you to come to the hospital so i guess in this type in this kind of situation if everyone has got you know like a bot you know at home uh when whilst you whilst you're talking to the doctor or like on the phone uh, you you could just swallow the the pill bots and then you maybe you call you back maybe in in 10 minutes and then you'll be actually looking to see do you actually need to come to the hospital or not because of the healthcare system we have here, uh, which where everyone has to sort of like pay into it. So essentially it's free, but it's not really free. It kind of, so there's some people going to hospital with uh, things that are not as, as, as serious as, as we you know. So, so this will add a bit of efficiency to the system. And you mentioned saving 10,000 of dollars. To be honest, I think this will save potentially millions or, or hundreds of millions in the system because it's going to create so much efficiency. In aggregate, it's a big work. deal, right? Yes, at, the, at the individual level, you know, for a typical patient, we're saying, I want to give you six months of your life back to an insurance company for an individual patient. I mean, come on, I want to save you tens of thousands of dollars. But I mean, if we just talk about the effect on humanity, I want to give people dignity and agency. If you're not feeling well, I want you to get diagnosed, screened, diagnosed, treated much, much faster, much, much cheaper, right? Let's get people back to work. Let's let people do what they want to do. Like, I think the patient just wants to be healthy, right? That's, yes. that's what the patient <laughs> wants. Let's, let's let healing technology flow. And I, I think that a friendly little eyeball that can swim around in, in your tummy might be a good way to get this started. True. Now, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've been keeping one eye on, on the clock because I knew you guys are busy. And um, But just before you go, I just wanted to ask, you know, for, from both of you, like in terms of like, uh, what are your thoughts on the future, like in this uh, industry? And this is an open-ended question. Uh, you can just describe uh, what's potentially coming out there or what you think the where the industry is going. Um, I like to ask this to people uh, on on the podcast because every time someone tells me something, I always learn something and I always take a note. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll be interested to hear your opinions on that. Well, why don't I talk about a few tech ideas and then maybe Chris, you could you could speak about what does that actually mean? You know, what does that mean for society, right? So, for me as a as a technical co-founder, my perspective is okay. Let's let's do pillbot an eyeball in the stomach, but then let's do pill surgeon. Let's take tissue samples. Let's do microsurgery. Let's potentially do lab on chip. So if I take a tissue sample, maybe I don't have to take it to a lab. Let's try to analyze it on the robot itself. Like I don't want, I don't want you to go to the hospital. That's the opposite of the trend here. Maybe we can shine crazy light and do spectroscopy, right? Then let's go down in order of magnitude and size. Now could we potentially begin to go to other parts of the body? Maybe we could use blood vessels as super highways. And then potentially, you know, what, how, how do we power a device at that scale remotely? Well, possibly nuclear power. There are some very interesting technological advancements being made with nuclear photovoltaics, right? And so imagine a, a brain surgery robot the size of a grain of rice, but imagine five of them <laughs> parked on a tumor and you've never even been to the hospital, right? And then 
Beyond that, beyond endiotics, beyond our ability potentially to contribute technically, imagine a group of young founders and engineers and students who have grown up seeing devices like PillBot as the status quo. What are they gonna dream about? Because I think that the people who come after us will look at little robot pills as a foundation to stand on. And I think that's where we will finally begin to approach what you might think nanobots would look like, right? We, we hope that people see PillBot as simply the foundation of a market category, microrobotics in the human body. It's the beginning of an adventure, not the end of the adventure. So I think I should hand it off to Chris. It's an adventure that's at the forefront of a large continuum that is the march of progress, right? It's the past, present, and future of science, and it's bigger than any of us. It transcends all possible considerations of your gender, the color of your skin, your religion, your location. You can't stop it. It would be silly to try to step out in front of it. What I often tell my students is, I quiz them, when was the first flight, right? The answer is Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, 1903. When was the first moon landing, right? Which is July, 1969. So if you do the math, there's 66 years as a gap between those. The life expectancy of an American citizen born in 1903 was 66 years. So if you're born when the first flight happens, when you're laying on your deathbed, people are landing on the moon. It almost gives me chills to think about what is the person born right now when PillBot is flying they're on their deathbed. Hopefully they're 115, right? Where are we? Are we in another solar system, right? Or have we, it's hard to even imagine because it's, it's so, if you had told people in 1903, you'll be on the moon 66 years later, they would say that's, that's insane, right? That's what gives me hope. And I believe, maybe it sounds naive that we have some sort of democratizing element where we can bring the best of science to the world. And that's why I'm proud to be involved here. Well, Thank you. that's, that's really uh, deep. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I, I, I've taken notes of what you said, uh, just now. Uh, I think it's, I think it's massive. It's, it's, I think it's, as you said, it's like that technology that's quite revolutionary is essentially because it's going to change how people see a lot of things once it hits the market and it's going to push other developments to happen, right? Because when one industry moves forward, I feel like all the other connected industries are forced to move forward with it as well. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really uh, interested. I can't wait to see it, um, it on the markets or if I'm lucky enough to, to see it before it's on the market would be great. And uh, yeah, thank you very, thank you very much uh, for, for the time. Um, I know it's evening here already, but I know it's, it's middle of the day there. I still got a long work day to, to, to go on and get busy with, but uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you, Rodney. And uh, I think that you personally, you're a lot younger than us. You've achieved a lot already. So I appreciate your heart and your fortitude and all of this. And I think you're going to go a long way too. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs>